Hey, welcome to Element if you are new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the inside, you're going to get some notes that reflect on what we talk about today, some questions to also reflect on what we talk about today. On the back, you get the verses we're going through. On the bottom, you get a place for notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is simply called Version. Once you download that, it just says Bible, and you'll click on More and then Events in Version. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, but you won't get the coffee cake or the bacon. It doesn't come in the app. you got to be here like that to get that. That's great, right? <laughs> My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. And it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take us and teach us to be a people who, one, understand that you are our Father, but that we as a people in understanding the great grace that we received would begin to live that out in one another's lives, that we would begin to bear one another's burdens and so honor and glorify you because you have first rescued and saved us. Amen. Have a seat. And don't be shy about eating that stuff either. You can just keep going. It's great. So today, we are going to start Galatians chapter 6. And if you have been here for the last 22 weeks, this is the light at the end of the tunnel, right? We are looking at this. We're just almost right there. This is week 23. We're going to take four weeks to get through chapter 6. It was going to be three, but then in the first five verses of chapter 6, there's a couple things I really need to kind of hit on. And this is the ideas of burdens and loads and that we are everything and nothing and that all is going to go into how we then begin to live with one another. So again, today we're going to talk about burdens and loads, how loving one another shows if we truly understand the gospel. Because Paul has four and a half chapters, just does this master class in theology about what the gospel truly is. And then it turns, so now that you understand the gospel, this is how you begin to live with one another. And the beauty of this, I think, is just astounding. Now, Galatians is written to a group of churches, three, four, five. Most historians think three to four. And at this point, he's saying Christians also need to understand the gospel. Now, a lot of times Christians think, oh, it's those non-Christians that need the gospel. Christians need the gospel too. We don't simply believe the good news and then move on. This is why I keep telling you the gospel not only saves us, it sustains us. And the point is it's God who will change us. God is the one who teaches us how to love him. And as we've seen in the last few weeks, the more we love him, the more we want to walk with him, walk in his ways, our flesh begins to die. And so our goal, if you call yourself a Christian, is to get close to Jesus because out of that will come our changed lives and restored relationships. We are not trying to find and live up to some moral standard so we feel like we have attained it and made it. That's not how we're saved. Galatians shows many times we are too preoccupied with the self that to truly love God as he calls us to love him. And so what Paul keeps saying is the closer you get to Jesus, the closer and further, the further you wouldn't run away from sin. And Paul says this love for Jesus comes from the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And a problem I think for too many people today is we spend so much of our lives trying to be Jesus rather than simply just be with Jesus. And God calls us to be with him, walk 
with him. If you have a Bible, open to Galatians chapter 6, end of chapter 5. If you're going to use one of the Bibles at Element, that's on page 633. If you're using the U version, you are already there. So we have to understand, God is not a concept. God is a person we live with. And again, if we are with Jesus, we walk with him, we will end up being more and more like him. Trying to be like Jesus on our own ends up actually pulling us away from him because it's a work of the flesh. Being with Jesus, we are told, is a work of God's spirit in our lives as he draws us closer to him. We have been separated from God. God in act of mercy and grace has come to get us and save us and make us his own. God is so committed to washing us clean that Jesus died on our behalf to make that happen. Why does Paul talk the way he does in Galatians 5? We cannot worship, we cannot worship understand, or be like Jesus on our own. So God puts his spirit in us. We are no longer orphans in the world. We get to live and walk as children children of God. Christians need the gospel. And so often we truly don't understand the gospel, which is Christ's death and resurrection. The gospel is simply that announcement of that good news, that we cannot attain a righteousness on our own so that God has come in Christ to rescue us, to bring us to himself. He has taken our sin and given us his righteousness. He has taken our death and given us his life. It's the announcement of what Jesus has done to rescue and save us. So we continually go back to that because that changes then how we live. Paul will say to Peter in Galatians 2.14, you're not in line with the gospel. And so often that's true for us. We are not living our lives in line with the gospel because how we live out our lives is going to show how well we understand that. So this is where Paul now goes. Galatians 5.26, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, Paul has just talked about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And then he goes directly into that. So, let us not become conceited. When you start to live in goodness and life and peace, don't start thinking, look how good I am, all the peace that I'm, all the goodness I have. It's don't become conceited because this is a work of God's Spirit. It's not you. So, don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. That's really what it means to walk in step with the Spirit, to be a Spirit-led person. We live the way that God's Spirit takes us into, into that fruit, and it results in how we live with each other. After the whole book of walking with the Spirit and talking about that, the fruit of the Spirit, now you get to see what that Spirit-led community looks like. What does it look like? Well, first off, we're not conceited. We don't provoke one another. You're not poking the bear all the time. We don't envy one another. Galatians 6 verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in him himself alone and not in his neighbor. We're going to talk about that verse next week, actually. For each will have to bear his own load. So what are people who are led by God's Spirit do? Well, it says it right there. We restore one another. We carry one another. We allow others to grow when they need to learn how to carry their own load. That's a snapshot of what a Spirit-led community in action looks like. And it's really kind of captured in that single phrase, burden-bearing. I almost changed the name of this message to the burden-bearer. Bearer. Bearer. Is it a ring bearer or a burden bearer? Ring bearer, ring bearer. Anyway, 
bearer. Burden bearer. That's what we're supposed to do. A spirit-led community, burden bears for one another, and so fulfills the law of Christ. And I cannot emphasize this enough because this is the central point of this passage, what a spirit-led community does. So Paul lays out four things of what this looks like. Number one, he starts with family because he uses the word brothers. Brothers is a word that means brothers and sisters. That's the family. That's the people of God. That's us gathering together. God adopts us. We become family. We are brothers and sisters. Now, I know there's a lot of people who say, I love Jesus, I worship God, but I don't need to be in a church. Now, you have to understand, a church is not the building. The people make up the church. We are the church. We gather together in this building, but we make up the church. And I get it why people don't want to gather because the church is full of hypocrites and judgmental people and they make life hard. And so do you. Okay, every single one of us. Too often we think those are the messed up people. I don't want to be around them, but you're a messed up person too. This is why God calls us to walk alongside one another. Yes, when we do that, our dysfunction just spills out on everybody else. But as we walk through not envying, not being conceited, understanding the works of the Spirit, we start to grow with one another. And if you think you are perfect, not like all those other losers, you know what? Great, we need you. If you are perfect, we can sure use your help. The Bible tells us we are to be one family. We are the household of God. And if you are in a family, you know family's not easy. Family's a, a pain. Pain. It, it is. But as messed up as we are, when we live with one another, the scriptures say when we work through those tough places, albeit slowly, we will come to love and support and encourage and admonish one another. Again, Galatians is written to a group of churches. Most of the New Testament is written to churches. God puts letters in the scriptures written to churches. Rome, Thessalonica, Corinth. Paul assumes that people will be part of a gathering of people together. And they will hear these words read aloud. When the apostles wanted their words for a lot of people to hear them, they would have them sent to churches because they assumed people would be gathering together in these places to hear these words. Now, is that true today? No, not so much anymore, right? After COVID, it's worse because we all like the comfort of our homes and being in our jammies. And if you're watching right now, hi, it's nothing to... Jammies are great. I love my jammies, okay? I think they're wonderful. But you should meet with us. You should meet with us because we are not focused on our comfort. We want to gather together to learn to grow together. And that means real, live, in-person getting together. Paul, this is what he means by friendships. They're not shallow. They are deep. And I don't care how much you love your jammies because, again, I love mine too. But true openness and honesty only comes from being together with one another. We are known by each other, brothers and sisters, family. Except on a Father's Day, right, when nobody comes. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> Second thing Paul talks about is the church must practice what we call biblical accountability. Now, sometimes when people hear the word accountability, they have an aneurysm because the church has never done this really well. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. When we live as families together, we will, at some point, step into the enemy's trap and sin. We will sometimes bait our own traps, and we will step 
step into that and we will sin. We will step into other people's traps and we will sin. And so we need other people around us to notice that, to notice when we're stepping in those places and restore us. Biblical accountability is only done correctly when it's about restoration. Paul even says that those rescuing, you don't see yourself as perfect and those other people as messed up because he says you got to be careful because you can fall into the exact same trap. You know, we can easily fall into that. That's why we have to have community to help us so we don't sin in the same way. If you are an alcoholic and you're talking to an alcoholic, don't meet them at the bar to talk about your issues because there's probably somebody in a church that isn't an alcoholic that can actually walk through some stuff. If you are bitter and angry at your boss, your spouse, your friends, and someone else is bitter or angry and have all this stuff going through their head and have this irritation with their spouse, maybe you're not the best person to talk to them. But there probably is somebody in the church that you could take along with you and talk to them. Brothers and sisters coming together, walking through this together. And regrettably, as I said, Christians don't always seem to do this well or often in love. One person once likened Christians to timid medical students who are afraid to give shots. Like you can help somebody by giving them a shot, but you're afraid of the reaction when you stab them. I'm sorry. We're afraid of that. But there's also the opposite problem. Sometimes we are so caught up in ourselves that we are too proud to notice. And then there's even another problem where when someone steps into something dumb that they've done, it's like, yeah, you deserve that. I'm going to let you sit in that just for a little bit. It's like the medical analogy. Maybe somebody does something dumb and they break their arm and you think, I could really help, but I want you to just know that pain a little bit longer before I bind up that arm so you know how dumb it was to do that thing that you just did. Sometimes this is why we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and remind us of what the gospel truly is. And Paul's point can also be taken that people who have been deceived, many times they will believe their own lies. And all the arguments they have in their mind are so good, you might start to believe their lies. And so we must be a people who step alongside one another. So it's maybe not just one or two. It's a group of people coming together that learn how to love one another. Because in the end, we will all lie to one another. We all get caught up in ourselves. And so we need to step into each other's lives so we can see each other's broken arms and help to bind one another up. That's biblical accountability, which leads to the third thing which is restoration. We're just motoring through these things, right? Third thing is restoration. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, when I was putting this message together, we were in the book of James and I was talking about the proper ways to judge because in Matthew chapter seven, people take this thing out of context where Jesus says these words, he says, judge not. But he says that in the midst of this whole long dissertation of how to judge, why to judge and how to do it correctly. So Jesus never says, don't judge and that's it. He talks about the ways that we judge, that we must do it with an eye towards restoration. Now, you always have to judge something. You go to store and buy milk. I had to buy milk. I never drink milk, but I had to buy milk because I was making some macaroni and cheese and it is not good with water. You got to do it with milk. Someone to buy some milk and I got to judge which expiration date is the best one for me because I probably won't drink this for the rest of the year. I found one that expired in August and I was like, ooh, wow. So I bought that and then someone told me, yeah, that's until you open it. Then you only got a couple weeks. I'm like, well, that's... Like, I know how milk works, right? I need a pasteurized cow in my backyard. Okay, I don't know. Anyway, but you got to judge. If you have kids and you need a babysitter, you got to judge, right? If some kid, guy shows up, I like kids. Well, you're not going to let him watch your kids. 
you got to make a judgment. So it's okay to judge in certain ways. When Jesus spoke of not judging, it was in terms of how we use it to condemn and not restore. We must always be about restoration. That's how a spirit-filled body of believers functions. Again, you know, what does a mark of a spirit-filled church look like? You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It knows how to judge and to judge correctly about where people are. Restore in a spirit of gentleness. What's that word gentleness mean? I told you last week, humbleness. Humbleness. We're humble when we do this. See, a mark of a community that is centered in the spirit has one thing going, and that is the crazy love that it has for one another. A love that restores. The goal of discipline and accountability with each other is correction. It's not punishment. So how do we do that? Well, this is what I told you last year. I said you evaluate and protect and you discern and restore. If someone is caught in some type of a transgression, if we refuse to judge that correctly, you miss out on the truth. But our ultimate purpose in doing that and in judging that thing is not condemnation. It's to evaluate and protect and discern and restore depending on the situation and people involved. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. What does that mean is you have to know the gospel well enough to judge what is not the gospel when people are going off the rails in lifestyle or in teaching. And so we come along one side, alongside one another in order to evaluate and protect where maybe people are infected by bad doctrine. But then we discern and restore those who have fallen away. And in the midst of it all, we're told we've got to be humble in the midst of it. You remember your own feelings, the places where you have run off the rails so we don't fall into the same trap. All this keeps going together. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And if our judgments lead us into personal attacks or bitterness, something has gone wrong. See, you can't mistake what Paul is saying here about the Holy Spirit and family and our interdependency, because in one sense, yes, we are independent in many ways. We are responsible for our own actions, but Galatians teaches that we are also dependent on one another as well. Our redemption in Christ results as our adoption into God's family. We become His children, and as Paul says in other places, we are one body. And when one part suffers, every part suffers along with it. I have had friends who have gone through some really difficult things in their life. And when you are really close, you begin to feel it too. You feel their joys, but you also feel their pain. You feel their hope. You feel their fears and their love because we're family. And it's hard to understand sometimes because of our individualistic culture. But when we practice this proper stepping into one another's lives this way, it's because we love them. And we are loved back. God himself disciplines those he loves. And if you have never been disciplined in your life, well, you've probably never been loved. you got to hear me in this. If someone is close enough to you and they love you enough to share honest words, instead of being offended, maybe stop and think how much they love you to risk your wrath and be honest with you. Okay? Paul speaks of our attitude about God himself in Romans 2, 4, when he says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? See, God's kindness sometimes is shown in discipline. And a good father, a good father's goal in discipline is never to harm his kids, but to help his kids. And a family should show up not to punish, but to correct. In a Christian context, in a church, Christians must show up for one another. 
and say, you know, hey, this thing is destroying you. How can I help you to move past that? I want to walk with you through this. I want to help you. And a church is destroyed when people will not do that for one another, when we don't understand what accountability is actually supposed to mean. Today, we've created this whole theology to get around this. We call it the personal relationship with Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't need anybody else, just me and Jesus, and that's it. That's hogwash. And you know that word isn't in the Bible? Hogwash, but also personal relationship with Jesus, <laughs> not in the Bible. See, now when you, when you trust in Christ, you, and him, you are saved personally, but God instantly places us into his family. And what it means is when we fail and fall, it is never meant to be in isolation. It is a community matter. It is vital that we gather together, that we are in a body of people called the church who loves Jesus and each other, who involves ourselves in each other's lives, not in a weird cult way where we're all wearing the same tinfoil hat and tennis shoes, but in a way that loves one another enough to step into each other's lives, not for legalism, but to help when we stumble and fall for the goal of restoration to the understanding of the gospel. The fourth thing Paul goes to then is, then we reason out burdens and loads. Burdens and loads. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ for each will, verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, it seems like there's a contradiction between these words, but you have to understand a burden is something heavy and a load is something that is lighter. The idea is that God lays certain loads on people to teach them humbleness so that they will grow. And there are certain places we buck up under that and learn to carry that because it builds humility and faith. On the other hand, sometimes there are things that are heavy and they are too heavy for us to carry alone. So we need those brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and begin to carry those burdens with us. Uh, on a really practical level, uh, in my garage, so I have this system at my house. So if something's in my house for a year and it doesn't get used, it's gotta go to the garage. And in the garage, if you don't use it for another year, it's gotta go to the dump or to a yard sale. Now, my wife doesn't believe in my system, and that's not the hill I'm going to die in an argument over, but if it worked that way, that'd be great. Sometimes there are things in our garage that have been there five years, and I'm like, boop. And like 10 years later, she's like, hey, where'd that thing go? And I'm like, <laughs> Now, we do baptisms at my house, and we, and we put the, all the food in, in the garage, so I've got to clean it every time there is a baptism to move stuff out of the way. Some of the stuff is heavy, but it's not that heavy, and I can move it myself. Some of the stuff is really heavy, and it would crush me if I tried to move it myself, so I need some help. When we moved into this building in the foyer out there, there's a welcome center. It's really, really heavy, and we were in there, and Saban over here, he's a big guy. You get picked on all kinds today, aren't you? He's big guy, right? Super strong. And he's got this thing by himself and he's like, oh, and it landed on me. He thought he killed me. I thought he killed me too. <laughs> I'm like, lights are going out. Here we go. Even somebody as big as Sabin, there are places that you cannot carry a burden alone. So people come alongside of you. There are, that's what Paul says, there are some loads that we learn how to deal with that we can work through on our own and other things that will crush us. And this is very practical in some ways. Our problem today is the same as in Paul's day, that people many times in the midst of chaos don't know how to distinguish between burdens and loads. Some people so, show up to a church and they say, great, a church, they can carry all my problems with them. They can fix it all. And sometimes a church being godly and loving says, hey, you need to buck up and learn to carry that. It's, you know, it's not the duty to let, of the church to let people determine burdens and loads. It's why we have elders and deacons and GC leaders, because the church helps people learn how to determine burdens and loads. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who makes everything into a crisis. 
And if you haven't met somebody like that, it's probably you. So you're welcome. Just letting you know that. Uh, I haven't changed my phone number in years, and a lot of you have it. But for some reason, some of you guys are like, oh, yeah, call Aaron. And you hand out my phone number. Stop handing out my phone number because people think I'm closer to God than they are. And I'm not, if you've ever met me. That's not, that's not how it works. But people think I can fix everything. So I get crazy phone calls. I do not sleep with my phone in my bedroom anymore because it would go off all the time. Sits in the living room. I'm okay with that. There's a lady who uh, passed out in the parking lot a couple years ago. And the first couple people that saw her were like, oh, go get Aaron. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's just take a step back, all right? Um, I am more prone to break my arm going to help said lady in the parking lot than I am to help said lady in the parking lot. At Element, there are no less than eight nurses, doctors, or PAs that go here. Find somebody who could actually help because the answer to everything is not this guy. It could be, hey, Aaron, is there a nurse here right now? I'd be like, yeah, right over there. Go talk to that person. I can do that for you, but I can't fix everybody's problem. I got this call one time from this lady and she's like, oh, help me. This is terrible. My life is falling apart. I'm like, got to call the elders. Got to forget. And I call, finally call her up. My computer doesn't work. I'm like, I'm like wow. Okay. That, that, that's something. Uh, there, there are some people who struggle with pornography. Guess what? Sometimes that's a burden and you need to tell somebody who can walk through that with you. Sometimes it could be a load where you can shut off your computer. Or maybe get rid of your internet. I can't live without the internet. People did for thousands of years. You know, you can do that for a couple months. It, it, it might help. See, the church calls burdens and loads. Why? Because many times people in turmoil can't. This is why you have umpires. Umpires call balls and strikes, not the ball players. And in the fruit of the spirit, the last one is self-control, choosing the important thing over the urgent thing. And that's what a church is supposed to do with one another. And I'm not trying to sound flippant at all. Please don't think I don't care about your dilemma, but let's play a game. I'm going to call it burdens and loads. Okay. This can get me in a whole lot of trouble. Okay. Um, Again, burden is something that would crush you without your brothers and sisters to help. So, uh, some guy spends all his money on lotto tickets, Slurpees, beer and pot, and can't afford lunch. Is that a burden or a load? That's a load. A load is something. That's what it is. Uh, couple's been married, say, five years, and one of them dies in a car wreck. Is that a burden or a load? That's a burden. See, you guys can do it. Look at that. Uh, some person doesn't like to work, loafs on the job, gets fired, can't afford their rent. Burden or load? load. Right. Here's a tent. Live in the park. There's people that live there. Uh, maybe a couple, a couple gets married. They have a kid. One of the spouses bails, just takes off. Burden or a load? Burden. Exactly. Maybe there's an elderly person in the church. Can't get around. Can't get meals. Can't afford assisted living. Burden or load? Burden. See, we, we can do this. And it's not meant to sound judgmental. See, the Bible distinguishes between legitimate needs and illegitimate needs. Not with an eye to judgment, but an eye towards Restoration, towards restoration. We protect one another by helping those around us see the difference between burdens and loads. And there are times when people will be lazy and create drama and throw all their garbage in other people who will want to take advantage of others. But there are times that you have legitimate needs and we don't help anyone by not recognizing the difference. There are, there are loads that God has placed upon us himself. And as a church, our goal is not to take that off you because we want you to grow. Now, to be honest, there are some people who have the exact opposite problem. They treat everything in their life like a load. Like there, there's some issue you need help with, but you won't tell anybody. 
I mean, you're struggling through something and, and no one knows because you won't say anything. A little while ago, there was a lady who had surgery at Element and nobody knew. Nobody knew. And she goes, oh, I didn't want to burden anybody. That's a legitimate need. Let us set up a meal train. Let us help you. Some people get pregnant and they're out on bed rest and no one knows to help them. The church needs to know that. And I know sometimes people get frustrated because some people make everything a burden and they suck up all the resources around them. And so we have to understand proper burdens and loads. But I would say if you currently don't have a burden, look around for somebody who does. Somebody in the, in the body of Christ that you can love and come next to and walk through them with that. Now, having said all of that practicalness about burdens and loads, when Paul talks here about burden bearing, it has another aspect to it and one that's really important. What he specifically has in mind in context is bearing the burden of one another's sin, of the places that we fall. Going back to how I started my four points, the primary way we do this to help one another in spiritual restoration, which is how Paul just starts that whole section. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's what we do with one another as we carry one another's burdens and walk with one another. I mentioned a few weeks ago this writer who said, the church is a mess worth making. And it really is. It is. And that's the challenge and the heartache of the church's messiness. It always involves people. It involves you and I in each other's lives. We're the mess. We're the mess makers. And dealing with the mess was what it means to live as a people of God in the world with each other. Because how people will know the love of Christ is how we first start to love one another and then take that out into the world. That people will know we are his disciples by how we love one another. Not by how we run from relationships, not how we run from each other's burdens, but how we step in and take care of each other's burdens. Because we never fix the mess on our own. The mess, the mess fix comes from us understanding the gospel and taking that and stepping into one another's lives with that. Again, it is why we must know the gospel enough to speak of the gospel into each other's lives. If the Galatians and us are truly going to serve one another, like Paul says in Galatians 5.13, and if we're going to follow the leading of the Spirit, which he says in Galatians 5.18, we must come alongside one another to learn to restore one another in the gospel because that brings a spiritual wholeness. And that is the direction of Galatians. Again, after all these you know, 20 weeks, you start getting to this very practical places of Paul teaching us how to live and walk and love one another, to step into the messes that we make in one another's lives and in our own lives so that we can begin to build each other up again to understand the goodness of who God is. That is the greatness of what God continues to do in our lives. It really is. It really is beautiful how God takes all of us as messed up as we are as a people and then brings us back to himself and then says, now that I saved you and you understand my salvation of you, now what I want you to do is start to love one another. But it's so hard. People are so terrible. Yeah. And that's why Jesus had to die for every single one of us. Right? When you have something, you're looking at somebody else and saying, I can't believe how terrible this person is. Look at what they did. Well, guess what? Jesus died for that sin in that person's place. And if you think you can't forgive them, are you better than Jesus? No, no. God calls us to be a people who understand that we are all these mess makers in each other's lives. And we will step in and help restore one another by understanding the gospel and speaking that to each other. At Element, every week, it's one of the reasons we take you guys to communion. Because communion's a reminder of what God has done for us. We, we don't pass it throughout the room. We do it every single week as a reminder to lay down our burdens and our lives right here. Because the greatest burden we ever had was our own sin. 
And Jesus came and took that burden upon himself to save us. And in understanding that salvation that we received, we then get to step out and bear one another's burdens as well. And today, when you come take communion, you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of Christ's blood that was shed for us, where we lay down ourselves at his feet and begin to live and walk as the redeemed, restored people of God, because we understand who he is and what he has done for every one of us. And I think as we grow every day of our lives, he's going to continue to remind us and we'll begin to understand more and more of that. And as we do, we will naturally want to step into each other's lives. If you need prayer today, maybe you have a burden in your life right now that you feel like is just consuming you and you haven't told anybody about it, but you'd really like to, right across the way in the lounge, there'll be a couple people to pray with you. You can go during music. You can go after service is over. If you have any questions about what we talked about this morning, you can ask that to them as well. But right across the way, they'd love to pray with you and walk through that with you. We are a people who give. Uh, there's offering boxes next to all the doors. At Element, we don't pass a plate. We believe our giving is a response to what God has done in our lives. And so you can give online. You can give when those offering boxes, but it's always meant to be freely given. And so this is why we give the way that we do. And we encourage you to grab those sermon notes, take those questions in there. Maybe sit down and meet with some other people this week and talk through those and ask one another the questions that are in there so we can go back and remember the things that God has called us into. What are our burdens? What are our loads? What, what does grace truly look like in our lives? And what is the great restoration we received so we can begin to live in this great joy? Because God has taken our burden of sin upon himself and he has given us his yoke of grace and love and mercy. And we get to live and walk in that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would move us as a people as this body called the church, to understand the gospel enough that we would step into one another's lives. That we'd step into each other's lives in ways that begins to restore one another. That it's not judgment with an eye to tearing each other down, but we'd be able to see things correctly to restore one another to an understanding of the gospel. Father, I think if we're, we're honest, everybody in this room, we move into places where it's easier to judge with an eye towards condemnation of saying, what is wrong with these people rather than judging with an eye towards restoration. And so I ask that you would remind us of our own restoration that we have received in you. That it would become so real to us that we would naturally begin to live as a people who step into one another's lives with an eye towards that restoration. That we would worship you for who you are in your majesty and your glory and your goodness because you have stepped into this place and this world to save us. And we have no right to claim that. And yet you give it to us as a gift. And so teach us to live in that gift of grace that we received. Change our own hearts and minds. To remember that you have not only saved us, but then you sustain us as you send us 
to one another. And so have our lives fully be bowed before you, restored by what you have done, and then live out this great salvation we've received in worship of you and love of others and that you would be glorified in all of that. We ask that in your son's good name. Amen. As we drop the curtains, we're going to do a couple songs. Take a moment right now and, and just, if you have a burden in your life or maybe some load that God has placed on you that, that you're working through and you don't know what to do with that, just lay that before him right now and just talk to him about it. And say, God, is this a burden or a load? And if he tells you it's a burden, please share that with somebody so that we can do the work that Paul says in Galatians where because of our own great good gifts of salvation, that we will walk alongside one another and bear that with you. And maybe it is just a load right now. I don't mean just a load, loads are still heavy, but maybe it is just a load. That having something be a load doesn't mean that people can't pray with you about that load you're walking through. I think as a people of God, we understand the beauty of what the gospel entails, of God rescuing us. And we live all of our life in light of that. So in your burdens or loads today, ask God to show you that through the light of the gospel. And then come and take communion, sing some songs with us. We'll head out on this Father's Day. If your dad's here, not here, call him, whatever. Happy Father's Day. Maybe it's like, I don't like my dad. Okay, well, Jesus still died for your dad too. And there's a, and there's a beauty in that. And it, can't, and it might be hard, but you can begin to pray for them even if you don't talk to them. And it's a, it's a, I think it's a difficult place to be as the people of God. And, and maybe your father for you is a burden. And you want someone to walk with you through that. Please let people know to walk with that. Because our Heavenly Father loves us and has brought us to Himself. When we understand His grace given to us, it changes how we begin to live. Let's be a people who live and walk with and for Him.